WOLB Baltimore and WERQ-FM HD3 Baltimore. The views and opinions of the guest and host you hear on 1010 WOLB are not necessarily those of the staff and management of Radio 1, its sponsors, or advertisers. Thank the people that are here to support this bill. Where y'all at? Okay. And I also would like to give thanks to all these petitioners, because we actually consulted the people in the neighborhood. We got there, you know, we wanted to know how they felt about what was going on in their communities. Unlike a lot of these agencies, we actually consulted the people in the communities. Okay. And we got almost a thousand names uh, on these uh, petition forms. Some of them are still out. So, and what the petition says is, to, to Mayor Pugh, the Baltimore City Council, Governor Hogan, the Maryland State Legislature, and the U.S. Congress. Yes, I agree that we should, one, end the displacement of people from their neighborhoods and end the destruction of their communities just to give land and taxpayer subsidies to developers and investors. Two, introduce the 1% the interest renovation slash rebuilding loan dollar house, dollar lot program, because the house will be built from the ground up for the individual citizen as a fairest way to ensure funds earmarked for the community are used to help the people who actually live there with training, jobs, and home ownership. Number three, end the destruction of the remaining affordable housing stock in Baltimore, a city with a documented lack of affordable housing. I've seen people walking around the street scared to death. But you know what? If they live in a decent house, that they will eventually have a deed to they straighten up their back. They have a little bit of pride. If you see those brothers slinging on the corner, if they had a trade, they could know how to go and make a decent living and not have to run from the police. We have a murder rate of almost 300 young people in this city. Suppose somebody gave a tenth of them a job where they could take a paycheck to the bank and cash it for real dollars. And suppose me, a 68-year lady, doesn't have to worry, I got to get out of here before it gets too dark. Do you hear me? Do you understand what I'm saying? What I'm saying is real simple. Help the brother that's trying to help the rest of us. We got his back. And if you play your cards right, we'll have your back. We've got to be the, the, the lightning rod in this nation because every urban city in this country, through conspiracies, find themselves with thousands of abandoned houses don't tell me that's not by design. We've got to break out of that genocidal approach to people who want to live and have a right to, to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Let there be no doubt. Justice delayed is justice denied. 
Hello, Baltimore. Welcome to a special edition of the Call Tyrone Show. I'm Tyrone Bose, your humble host. I'm a plumbing, heating, uh, and cooling contractor in the Baltimore metropolitan area. And I'll be operating in my capacity as the president of Homes today to inform you of what we've been trying to do to gain fairness, justice, and reciprocity in the rebuilding process that follows the blight and the housing crisis that hit Baltimore. And uh, um, we were taking your calls. And at the same time, we want to explain what really went down. Because I know you got the Republican narrative that the reason why all this blight happened is because the, um, you know, black people were getting loans and, and they were forcing Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac to take these loans and all this stuff. But the reality of it bears out now that the studies have been done. And the only reason they had studies completed is because the people in Chicago decided to fight back and they sued a lot of these these uh, companies for what they did to their communities, creating this blight. And you had people that had owned their houses for years and generations that lost their houses because of this predatory lending with the subprimes, which 55% of all African-Americans that uh, had loans uh, during that time had subprime loans, 55%. Now, if you believe that 55% of African-Americans have uh, unable to pay for their, their houses with a regular uh, prime loan, then you're an idiot. So I'm not, gonna, I'm not even going to address that. However, what we're going to do is uh, um, we're going to get uh, we're going to talk about um, how do all this board, all these board of houses come about. Jason, that's clip number five. Yeah, so this uh, is important in how, essentially every... How did all these board of houses come about? Number five. George Mitchell is typical of folks in his neighborhood, and I, and I should say his neighborhood, you know, you drive through it and it looks, it looks like a disaster zone with the number of boarded up houses or houses that are up on either are bank owned and sitting there. Number of people who, who have lost their homes, all old families. George Mitchell, 76 years old when he, when he got the last loan. Every penny of the loan went either to, the pre, to pay off the previous loan or to IndyMax closing costs. Here's a guy who was a mail carrier for 35 years, is retired on Social Security, is pitching from that, and is supposed to be making $5,000 a month. That's not a red flag. You know, here's a guy in a, in a zip code that is well known to be one of the worst hit in the country. His house is supposed to be worth $125,000. So there's an example of here's a loan that did him absolutely no good. On its face, he had no reason to get. Its only purpose was to create a larger debt volume and a bigger loan that the bank could then sell into the security. Securities market. The depth of the predation is stunning um, and stands in uh, direct contrast to the national rhetoric around borrower responsibility. Um, uh, the, the responsibility is very clearly on the lenders here. So there's a quarter million people in foreclosure right now. Um, that's 50% greater than there was this time last year. Um, there are more than 2 million people, more than 60 days delinquent on their loans. More than 2 million. Um, those people are, are headed into foreclosure. Like George, they're people who were in foreclosure the day they signed the loan. Um, and it's just a matter of, it's just a matter of time um, before they arrive on the auction block. And so you have neighborhoods that were communities. Um, and we've seen throughout history this repeating itself in black neighborhoods where they were communities 
And that community is a living organism that is more than just a collection of houses and more than just a collection of people. Um, and after it gets gutted, um, that uh, has an echo effect on people's lives. Sooner or later, we're going to have to come up with a large-scale plan, um, uh, you know, in my humble opinion, um, similar to the one we created, create the first housing boom in mid-century, um, to get working-class folks and middle-class folks into loans that make sense. And he, he made a salient point. He made a very salient point towards the end of that clip. We need to start getting middle class to cure this. We need to start getting middle class and working class people into loans that make sense. Okay, because what was happening is they were being steered into uh, these predatory uh, subprime loans, which were the most expensive loans in the universe. Okay, so if you got a whole group of people, being black people, who have the most expensive loans in the universe, and you have another group of people, and I'm not, not being racial, but this is, this is the fact to bear out. Yeah, being the majority population, white folks, uh, I'm just going to say, because Latinos suffered too, um, then, but blacks suffered the most, then the people that have the best loans in the universe are going to do better as far as not defaulting on loans than the people that have the worst loans in the universe. That's just common sense, people. Okay, so actually, that's what happened. The people with the worst loans in the universe, the most expensive loans, actually had the higher rates of default. However, they actually did better, you know, the, the numbers considering how many, how many, how many subprime loans they got compared to white people. They actually did better to white folks in keeping their houses. But I mean, you can't fight against a systematic targeting of black people in subprime loans. And um, I sold some real estate around that time, and uh, you know, I was mainly selling it for my brother who was uh, restoring houses. And I had a friend that I knew for a fact that she got a loan that wasn't representative of her credit, and I advised her against that. And um, the company, that company was actually sued later on for actually doing what I was telling her that they were trying to do to her. So, as I said, there's a lot more to this than personal responsibility. A lot of it had to do with people just outright stealing and transferring wealth from one group of people, <laughs> the black world to the white world. Let's just call it what it is. So what that ended up being is like a reverse reparations. People are talking about reparations. We lost uh, 200, about the, um, the black community lost about $213 billion dollars. And wealth being transferred to the white world during that uh, that housing crisis. And a lot of people aren't aware of that. Very few people are aware of that. Um, I'm sure because the rhetoric is still being put out that it was their it's personal responsibility and nobody did any stealing or lying or you know lying on applications and and, and this that and the other thing to get serious people um, into these predatory loans. Um, uh, you had a former Chase Manhattan Bank executive, James Spectrum. He told how Chase was systematically targeting minorities in this country for more, more expensive loans. Systematically. And uh, the, exec the executives knew what was going on. But they're like, so what? I mean, <laughs> we're making money and uh, we'll just sell these loans later. We'll just sell these loans later. So, you know, why worry about it? You know? And so what happened was, again, people ended up uh, in these loans and... Uh, they end up losing their houses. I mean, some of these people, the day they signed the the, uh, the loan documents, they were already in foreclosure, and these ex execs knew it. Um, so, uh, and the the the, uh, the Chase exec said that that uh, as I said before, these execs knew what they were doing. They knew they were targeting minorities. They purposely tar targeted targeted minorities, Latinos and blacks. 
for these subprime loans. And it resulted in a predictable loss of uh, homes. And white folks lost their homes, too. But for the most part, um, the subprime loans were the cause of that debacle. You had things that, that were, and what I mean by subprime loans is a loan that's below the, I mean, more expensive than a regular loan. Um, it could be an interest-only loan that blows up after a few years. You just pay the interest, and all of a sudden your your mortgage is three thousand dollars. You're paying five hundred dollars in interest, and then all of a sudden your your mortgage is three thousand dollars, and uh, you know it's time for you to go. Or you're paying uh, an adjustable, what they call an arm. You uh, pay that small amount at first, and then the arm balloons up to two thousand dollar month mortgage, and then eventually you lose your house. Um, so, so that was the real deal behind what was going on. But let's find out if they really hate us. And that would be uh, number one. Let's find out, number one, if they really hate us. Yeah, so this uh, is important in essentially every um, metropolitan area that had uh, any meaningful black population. Uh, redlining may have begun in Baltimore, but it was a nationwide uh, phenomenon. It was introduced by the U.S. government. Uh, it gets its name because literally they would uh, draw with a red pen on uh, a map and not loan or not provide uh, federal um, mortgage protection uh, to uh, any mortgages issued in that uh, portion of the city. And what it would was particularly aimed at was not neighborhoods that were already um, majority and are almost exclusively black, but any change from an area that used to be overwhelmingly white to uh, a area that was desegregated. Uh, the theory of this was, oh my God, prices will collapse because of white racism uh, if somebody uh, who's black moves into the neighborhood and we, the federal government, are guaranteeing the lenders against losses. The lenders will suffer significant losses. They'll pass them on to us. And so, you know, it's, we, we don't have anything against blacks. We just don't want to lose money. And we realize that uh, many whites are racist. So uh, this is how we're going to protect ourselves. But I mean, the reality is that, that, that this is, in many ways, when you look at the history of this, this was really a conspiracy in many ways involving um, the Federal Reserve, involving the federal government, involving people who sold real estate. And, you know, and they did hate black people. I mean, they really disliked black folks. I and mean, that was, I mean, it was pretty clear to me that these were not uh, do-gooders trying to help the world. And they, they <laughs> <No>. <laughs> right? <laughs> okay. Okay. They, 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 I guess they thought that was funny. Yeah, you know, I don't know. And I never said that, you know, they necessarily hated us, but these are white guys. They're saying that. So I'll let them do the talking for me. I, I'm not going to touch that because it's not necessary. You know, the wrong was done. It was wrong. And the person, matter of fact, the person that spoke, by the way, is a, uh, he, his name is um, uh, Bill Black. Yeah. He's associate professor in law. He's associate professor of law and economics at the University of Missouri in Kansas City. He's a white collar criminologist who wrote the book, The Best Way to Rob a Bank is to Own One. Okay, so um, this guy knows what he's talking about. He's a professor. He's, he's, you know, he's a lot smarter than some of the people that are going to be calling here, I'm sure. So if you want to argue with him, fine. But I think it, it'll be a, an exercise of futility. Um, let's bring up Gene. 
Go ahead, Gene. Hey, Tyrone, how you doing today, man? All right, sir. How you doing? Okay, good. I just want to make sure you can hear me. Uh, I just called, you know, called in, uh, you know, make one, you know, basically one comment is because I keep. Um, it's like mortgage rates now about four point eight six down from about five point. What was it? Five point two or three. And so mortgage rates are down, but you know your one percent, the one percent program you're talking about, hands down is the, you know, you know the best product, and um, you know so I, you know, I just wanted to you know say that I know you'll get around to it. The other thing too is uh, I posted the interview with Lee, uh, Lou Fields that you did on a Spotify and a Google Podcast under Africana Magazine News. So, you know, between now and next week when you come back on, people can, um, you know, uh, further do their homework and, um, you know, listen to you, you know, giving out this great information. So, that, that, and that's basically what I wanted to say, man. Okay. Thank you for calling in, Gene. Yeah, and I appreciate welcome. your help and, and the struggle to uh, gain some fairness and reciprocity and the recovery from this crisis that hit Baltimore. All right, man. Keep up the good work, Luke. Okay. Thank you. Um, so what he's talking about is, first of all, I'm the president of an organization called HOMES, okay, Home Ownership, Opportunity, and Ministry for Economic Success. And uh, we've offered up a program um, of revitalization, not, not gentrification, revitalization. There's a difference. Okay, gentrification is mainly to benefit the few uh, at, at the cost of the many or the all, but revitalization uh, benefits everybody, you know. And uh, the program we, we're doing is based on the Dollhouse program, the old Dollhouse program under uh, William Donald Schaefer. And uh, Mr. Bob Emery was the commissioner at the time. Okay, what they did was they were going to, just to give you a brief, brief rundown how this worked, and it's one of the most successful rehabilitation programs in Baltimore's history. So what they did, um, they had a, a, a project. They were going to build a highway through Baltimore. I think they were going to try to connect uh, Route 70 to Route 95. But they would have had to build a highway directly through Baltimore and tear down a whole lot of communities in order to do it. So um, a bunch of people got together. I think it was led by um, Barbara McCausey. I think she might have been a social worker at the time. A bunch of people got together, and they stopped it. They stopped it. So they had all these vacant buildings, you know, sort of like what we, what we have now. And uh, instead of tearing them down, um, they sold them for a dollar, and the city gave out 1% interest loans to restore the houses to the citizen, to each individual citizen. And uh, nobody defaulted on the loans. There were very low barriers to getting the loans in the first place. Um, the banks wouldn't do it, so the city had to issue a bond in order to cover the, the loans to the citizen because the banks refused to do it. It was a 1% interest loan. And uh, that's what gave it the flexibility to work, to make it so successful. No, again, they were very low hurdles to getting the loan. It was a 1% interest, and they did a whole block, whole blocks at a time. So you had people in the community seeing these houses going up as a, a group effort, and they wanted to build on, the, on, that, uh, on, the, on that community. And not one person defaulted on the loans. Not one person defaulted on the loans because essentially it was a dream come true for a lot of people. A lot of people were locked out of home ownership and they were never owned a home without that program. And uh, the mortgage rates were so, with 1% interest were so low that you would have to be stupid to default. And and by the way, when people default on a loan, it's usually because they get in over their head, not because they're paying less than what they're paying for rent. And uh, our program, actually, you will be paying less than what you're paying for rent if you qualify for the program. So what we want to do is do, we want to do the same type of thing, but we want to keep the elements that made that program a success. Uh, 
We want the city to take whole blocks of these vacant houses, um, sell it to the citizen, not to us, to the citizen for one dollar. Okay, and give one percent interest loans to the citizen, just like they did with the old dollar house program. That's what made it work. Not us, to the the individual citizen, and then um, uh, uh, let's say it costs a hundred thousand dollars to restore a house at one percent interest. You're talking about a three hundred dollar month mortgage. Okay, and that's very affordable. So most people are paying more than $300 a month to live somewhere, even if they live in a one-bedroom studio. So what we're saying is that if you've shown that you could uh, pay your mortgage for a year or more on time and you're paying far in excess of what what you're going to be paying for this mortgage, $300 a month mortgage, why are we going to put you through a whole lot of hurdles to get the mortgage? Jump through hoops and all this other, you know, hold your hand on your um, nose and rub your stomach and all this other stuff that, I mean, you know, you don't put somebody through. Now, we, we're going to have classes, but besides, beyond that, if you're already shown, demonstrated that you can pay for somewhere to live for twice what this mortgage is going to cost you, that in itself will show you that you're credit worthy for the loan. Okay. So um, we think it's an excellent program. And at the same time, what we want to do is we want to use minority contractors who are shut out of contracting in Baltimore City because there's so many of the waivers that are issued uh, for minority contracting opportunities. So we want minority contractors. And we have 36 contracts, by the way, that are signatory to what we're trying to do that want to help out small small um, contractors. We want, we want to um, put a general contractor in each house, okay? A general contractor in each house and um, we figure if we can do that, we can probably get through a block in in uh, in about three months. So, and then we want to, we want to pick up enough to where we can get several blocks done simultaneously. Okay, so and that being the case, we'll you know that that in itself would be a great uh, mitigating factor as far as all the um, the um, the sub uh, prime uh, nonsense that went on in Baltimore and caused a lot of people to lose their. Houses. There were other gimmicks that cost people to lose their houses as well that we're familiar with. One of them is ground rent. If you ever um, sold real estate, you can buy real estate uh, two ways. One was ground rent at that time. One was ground rent and one was fee simple. Okay, if you if you had ground rent on your property, a person can come back years later and, and try to redeem that ground rent. Say, hey, you owe me ground rent. If you didn't, you owe me three thousand dollars in ground rent. And if you didn't have the three thousand dollars to pay it, guess what? You were out of that house because he owned the ground that the house sat on. So um, the, these are some of the gimmicks. And then, of course, we had the water bill. Everybody knows about the water bills. You know, that, and a lot of this stuff, by the way, affected older uh, women, older black women, you know, that, that they, they were preying on with this type of stuff. Because um, people, you know, they get older, get on their in their years, and sometimes they get a little, you know, senile or whatever, and they forget that that water bill has to be paid or you know, and they've been living, you've had people that were living in their houses for years, literally 30, 40 years. They turned out of their house for, because of a delinquent water bill or a ground rent that was due that they, you know, they currently have no understanding of. So this type of thing was another thing that added to the blight that uh, um, built up in Baltimore. Now, um, it seems to me what, what got our organization together is uh, um, Governor Hogan and, uh, um, then Mayor Stephanie Rawls-Blake stood in Sandtown, Winchester after the Freddie Gray riots and announced a plan to tear of $700 million to tear down houses in the black community in Baltimore. Okay, and, um, you know, people were cheering and all that, and I'm like, what? <laughs> I mean, this is not about you. You're going to be gone, you know? 
This is gentrification on steroids. So the people who thought, standing there, they thought that they were going to tear these houses down and build nice things for them to live in. And um, the, the thing about gentrification is that the people that live through the blight, in most cases, they're not there to enjoy the recovery. Gentrification is, is basically massive disinvestment in both public and private funds, followed by massive reinvestment of public and private funds once the more fluent people move in and the others move out, the undesirables, the, un- the great unwashed. So uh, we got to be very careful. I mean, the stuff, a lot of times the stuff looks nice, but that don't mean <laughs> you're going to be able to live in it. And um, uh, we, as a matter of fact, we're currently in talks with um, housing. And um, they they told us that when they started, you know, we were asking them what was going to happen once they uh, finished tearing down Baltimore or whatever. And they said they're going to start to rebuild. And um, we asked how much is it going to cost to buy one of these houses. And they were saying $250,000. So to me, that means $300,000 or $400,000 on average for a house. And I'm thinking now, and I, I think I, I made a statement, who's going to be able to afford to live in these houses? Certainly not the people that are living in these neighborhoods. They're not going to be able to come back. And uh, yes, yes, there is a thing where you're supposed to have so many units of uh, affordable housing when you when you build. But it could be rental property or it could be located away from that place where you're building. It don't have to be there. It could be cross town. So, I mean, there's a lot of gimmicks that go into making it, clearing it up and making it look good. Because people, when they do stuff to you, um, they want to they wanna have their mind feel like uh, they're actually helping you or, or, may, or at least convince you that they're helping you. So you feel better about the oppression that's being um, um, given to you. So um, as far as uh, our program, again, uh, we want to get working class people in these working class and lower middle class people in these houses. We want to restore them to new. There's no reason why a house in Holland Park can't look like a house at Fells Point. We want to use minority contractors to um, restore these houses, and we want to train young men in the trades because it's going to take electricians, it's going to take plumbers, it's going to take carpenters, it's going to take uh, tradesmen to, to redo these houses. And the, the last, I work on my own business now, but when I, the last person, time I worked for somebody else um, as a master plumber, I was making $35 an hour. I think the rate, the union rate now is like $40 an hour. So you can't sneeze on these jobs, all right? That's quite livable. That's quite affordable. I have no need to stand on the corner and sling dope because I have too much to lose. I have a business to lose. I have my home to lose. So, you know, when a man has nothing to lose, then you understand the crime. You have parts of the city where the median income is $75,000 a year. And uh, for black males in Sandtown, Winchester, the unemployment rate is 62%, all right? And uh, that's probably that's the unemployment rate in uh, Palestine, by the way. And there's there's no peace there either. So until we can take a holistic approach to the violence in this city, then um, we can expect, you know, a lot of it to continue because a lot of it is associated with the uh, the drug trade and and people uh, selling dope. In the same way that you had the violence during uh, prohibition with the uh, the white gangsters <laughs> who were uh, selling illegal alcohol because alcohol was illegal. Back in the and back in the day, and um, you know you had a pr- depression going on, so people resorted to selling illegal alcohol, and you also had notorious gangsters doing the depression, like Bonnie and Clyde, Billy the Kid. I'm not Billy Kid. That's 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 another depression back in the 1800s. But but you had people like Bonnie and Clyde, Machine Gun Kelly. Then they had gangs and uh, Pretty Boy Floyd, John Dillinger. 
you know, Al Capone, these people arose because they felt like, look, it's a depression. Nobody cares about me. I got to make it for myself. And, um, you know, these people weren't black, you know. So we find that when you put other folks in the same situation that you have our people in, then they tend to behave the same way because it's got nothing to do with genetics. So if you understand that, then you know that it's beneficial for us to not only have um, home ownership, as which creates generational wealth. You can send your kids to school and, and things of that nature. It's also good to have um, jobs and contracting opportunities for the contractors, and uh, and also training for the trades for the young for the youth, so they can have a living wage. This young man I met, um, I think his name is Merbulous, um, and uh, he, what he's doing is he's trying to get he's challenging the businesses to hire Swedish kids. You know, and I'm looking at the radio station down 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 the dial. I'm not gonna say what it is, and they're they're talking bad about the Swedish kids. They're saying the Swedish kids are bad people because they're out here Swedish and they're criminals and all this stuff, and they need to do something with the police to, to do something about these people. Instead of saying, okay, maybe they're doing this because they're 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 poverty stricken, and maybe their parents are out getting high or whatever, and it's not their fault, and maybe they're hungry. Why don't we try to give them a summer job? You know, instead of coming with something that actually works, let's let's get the police on them and spend money on, on police time instead of giving them a summer job. So, I, and I do know that when I was a kid, I had a summer job almost every year, and it lasted ten weeks. It didn't last five weeks like it like it does now. And last year, there were about forty six hundred kids that couldn't get summer jobs that wanted to work and couldn't get summer jobs. The best thing, let me tell you something. The best thing you can do for a young man or young woman is to give them a job, not build them a rec center, give them a job because it builds responsibility. They're with a mentor all day, you know, that's a responsible um, a responsible adult. So a summer job program is a mentorship program, all right? It does the same thing. And um, that's the thing about our program we want to look at. And, and then this is what happened, this is what happened to the people uh, based on this housing crisis. The people lost their house. They got punished. They lost their house. If you, if you defaulted on your mortgage, you lost your house. All right? Now, if you were the bankers and the, and the mortgage brokers, you got bailed out by TARP. Okay? And it was, um, you got, and, and, and uh, I think TARP is a troubled assets uh, uh, relief program. It was relief for rich people, for ultra-rich people. The bankers got $7.7 trillion in loans. Okay? To, to help them, and they also got $700 billion of taxpayer dollars in free money. Just just let them keep it. Don't, don't mess with us no more. Here, take the money, please. Okay, so, but the homeowner got a boot in his butt and got out of that house. And, yeah, and the bankers got to keep the house, of course, but they got that extra money, too, for, um, for lending all, doing that, all that predatory lending. It was like a reward. That's why people were bad, you know, um, and... and you know, I love Obama, but that's why Cornell West, and a lot of people understand, Cornell West and um, and uh, Tavis Smiley had a problem with Obama because they only gave like $2 billion in relief to the people, and it wasn't direct relief. A lot of it was just modifying the loans and all that stuff to help them stay in their houses. Now, I, I would take Obama any day over Bush or Trump or whatever, but what Tavis Smiley and Cornell West was saying is, look, you've given trillions of dollars to these people that created the mess in the first place, so you reward bad behavior. But at the same time, you're not bailing out black people. And um, the whole point of having a black politician is to look out for black people. I mean, that's what it is. I mean, he's the president of everybody. But, you know, I, I look at it this way. And I, I always say this to the day I die. Um, 
if you are a black politician and you look out for, wait a minute, if you look, if you, let's say you're, you're an Italian politician and you look out for Italians in the process of looking out for everybody else, I don't have a problem with you because you're doing what your people put you in office for. If you're an Irish politician and you're looking out for Irish in the process of looking out for everybody else, I don't have a problem with it because I understand that that's what the people put you in there for. Um, now, why is it that when we get a black politician office, they look out for every damn body but us? Now, I have a serious problem with that. You know, there's no shame in helping your people. If you're a politician, you listen, there's no shame in helping your people, man. That's who got you where you are. Okay, um, we're going to take a caller. Mark C. Hey, Tyrone. Yeah, go ahead, Mark. Hey, how you doing, partner? Hey, right, man, sir. I'm glad you're on, man. Tyrone, I've been supporting you, man. You spent a long time. And you just hit the nail on the head. Um, I've been in the call of acting meetings with you, and um, uh, Jack Young had a chance to make it right. He said he wanted to meet with you. Had he met with you yet? No, he hasn't. But I want to give the man a chance. I'm going to take him at his word that he's going to meet with her, with 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 our organization, our coalition. I never want to meet with any politician by myself. Our, our coalition has a very well accomplished group of people. Very good. Um, a very good accomplished group of black folks, very intelligent, very intelligent, of all professions, subject matter experts in different fields. You know, we have professional project managers and and our core group, and we have ex-military officers, and these people are looking at, you know, what happened to our people. And um, I, for instance, I, you know, I was a military officer in in Iraq, and I was over there rebuilding that country. I'm not going to, it's hard for me to come back here and see my community in Iraq after going overseas to rebuild somebody else's country and not do anything, not even open my mouth. I can't, maybe other people can do that, but I can't. And I appreciate and you coming my, down. The night we had. And then my point, huh? And then my point is, though, is, is, is in support of you, man. You've been, you've, spent, you've, you've had it, you know, you've uh, made it plain, you know, what you want to do. Man, you've talked about um, the, the young people now uh, not having jobs because of the summer program. They cut it down to working. Um, Five weeks. Um, <laughs> put monies into it. But um, Jack Young said on the radio, uh, uh, when you called in, he said he was going to um, meet with you guys, and he didn't. Well, he no, no, I I'm not, no, I'm not going to say that. I always want to give people a okay. chance. Before, let, me, let me finish, Mark. I always want to give people yeah, a chance. Yeah. I want to give people a chance yeah. before I say they refuse to do what they said they did. Now, I'm going to give the man yeah. a chance. I did meet with uh, Ms. Moselle, who is the, the uh, chief of staff in charge of housing. But right now... Yeah. Jack Young is is the or the mayor. The mayor is the only uh-huh. person that can actually tell the housing commissioner what to do. And right now, the um, if I'm correct, and right now, our impasse is with with the um, housing, the talks with, with the housing, how they want to do the funding. We're trying to get these loans sourced by the city or by the state instead of by the banks because the banks that. won't give us the flexibility to do what we need to do, i.e., the one percent loans. And the one percent interest loans and the um, no hurdles to getting the loans. So well, I, um, Jack, I hope Jack Young meet with you, man, and you get it going because we definitely need it. Because man, I'm going with you. You called for the first meeting uh, on Royal Memorial Plaza. What was that when Stephanie Waller Blake was in office? Uh, yes, right? um, we actually had, what, what actually happens. We got a thousand names on the petition to do this from the impacted areas. We actually went to the communities. I don't hide. I go. Down, I go right down there where the people are. We talked to the people. We got a thousand names, um, on, and these people, a lot of these officials, don't even go in those communities. We went down there. 
we got a thousand names on a, on a petition, and we talked to community leaders, and everybody agreed that this, they preferred doing this to turn down the houses once they found out there was an alternative. You know, now some of the community leaders may have agreed that, and I've, housing officials, housing officials have told me that some of the community leaders have agreed that they want the houses torn down. And I said, if they if they agreed to that, that's only because you told them that there was no other way that the houses couldn't be saved, which is a lie. Almost any house can be saved as long as you got the bricks. Okay, and uh, we have people, and I met with Habitat for Humanity, and they routinely restore houses with the back walls missing and the roofs missing. Okay, so it can be done, and we don't want to profit. We want to do it just at cost. Whatever it costs to do that house, that's what your mortgage is going to be. No problem. I'm glad you are, man, and I and I hope we can move forward with it, man. Be blessed, man. I'll be on this Sunday at um five o'clock with a with a friend of mine that that does um automotive training, um. Uh, um, HVAC and some other stuff. All right, uh, all right. Thanks for calling, right, Mark. Right, I'll talk to you later. So all we'll right. Be on five, all right. Thank man. you, sir. Glad you on, brother. All right. Glad appreciate you. you. And right. and I appreciate now. I appreciate what you're saying. We got a lot of support from the community. When the day we went down, when you heard the, the intro to the show, that was some clips from the um the the testimony that we gave, and uh, we had packed City Hall. I was so proud of black people that night. We had packed City Hall. It was, they had opened the old floor areas. It was a beautiful thing. It was so beautiful. The power of unity. Because Baltimore is 62% black. It's 29% white. And I might be a little off of the figures, but I'm pretty damn close. You can look it up. And it's, uh, the rest is others. Okay, so, but Baltimore is actually controlled by the white community through the business community with such things as the BDC and, and those other things. And that's the majority should rule. We sh- There's no way we should be asking for, and they can't even fulfill it, a minority of contracts, and um, we're the majority of the people in the city. Okay, let's go to the next caller. Hello, Marvin. Hey, man, how you doing today? All right, sir, how you doing? Uh, if we the majority of sixty percent in the city and the white people is twenty nine percent, I don't know if you say that way though. I think they're throwing us out. Lowry <laughs> rate. It turned out our neighborhood be, at the same time. We should be in a position where we should be able to control a little bit more better than what we are. Well, the problem and, is, uh, Marvin, is that people need to learn the power to vote. Now, I know people are saying, you know, voting is useless. Okay, but I can't always agree with that. And some uh, of the people that say that, I agree with them on a lot of things. You know, I, uh, and it, um, but that, I don't, that point, I can't agree with because if voting had no power, they wouldn't have been killing people for it. Mega Edwards was killed uh, because he was trying to organize people to vote. You had uh, the Freedom Riders were killed because they were trying to organize people to vote. If it had uh, no power, then the adversary would not be trying to kill you for organizing people to vote. And they wouldn't have all these different, you wouldn't need a Voters' Rights Act that they got renewed every so many years. So it must be some power to it. And I've learned that from, you know, engaging in boxing and and, uh, kickboxing and things of that nature, that Uh you focus on your your adversary's weakness. So if that, right now, that's the only weakness that they have. We don't have any money. (laughs) So, so, you know, but a billionaire only has one vote, but he has a lot of money. Okay, go ahead. Our real, our real true weakness is people and numbers, and believing the same things that the next person believes. Unity. You, that's called unity. Yeah. Go ahead. You know, once once the unity come into place, and the people start to understand and wanting each other, just how they can combine and do business, then it'll be a lot better for us. Absolutely, that's I agree. The problem what we don't understand yet. Yeah, but see, that's you just know, the so, things. If you think about our great leaders like Marcus Garvey. Dr. King, Malcolm X, they understood unity in its entirety. Yeah. They understood the power of it. Because Dr. King would say, okay, we need 10,000, we need some people down at the square tomorrow at 10 o'clock. 
and it'd be ten thousand uh, people show up just because Dr. King said it. Look, you know, that's the type the of leader world, we need. Everything in the world have a cause to stick together, but black people. Everything, including down to the animals, lions, and <laughs> whatever, anything sticks together when they come. That's because we've been socialized, come, Marvin. Huh? That's because we've been socialized not to trust each other. That's yeah, why I play these clips. To, because let me finish. Let me finish. That. Let me finish. That's why yeah. I play these clips to back up what I'm saying. Because sometimes uh, we won't believe it unless we hear it from a white person. Okay. That's so, right too. Because we've been socialized not to believe or not to trust each other. We go. We go around talking about we need to stop killing each other. I ain't, bro. I'm not trying to kill. When I leave here, I'm not thinking about uh, going around killing nobody. You know, it's a small right. segment of our population. That's killing people. Now, if everybody's killing e- each other, we have 175,000 murders a year, not three, not 300, you know, but some of these people have killed people before. You have people flying in here that are hitmen that kill people, you know, in, this, in the game. So you got to understand who's doing the killing, it, you, you know, know what, and though? we need to deal with that. They're criminals. They need to be arrested. But every black man is not a, a, a thug. Every black man is not a murderer. And we need to stop putting uh-huh. that out there. We need to stop believing that narrative. That's true. That's true. But you know what, though? Yes. One thing what we all can do is it only takes a small, simple conversation to talk to somebody. You know, just talk until you can get through them. If everybody started doing that, we probably start to feel each other and get along with each other. Well, a lot you of it has, has a lot of that killing has to do with people, you know, uh, business. You know, it's like, OK, so you took my drug money. All right. And I'm not saying all of it. But you took my drug money. I can't go to the police and say, and I got warrants on me. I can't go to the police and say, look, um, so-and-so, I mean, Pookie stole my drug money, and he, and he stole my drugs. I mean, <laughs> come on. So I got to deal with that on the street. And then Pookie's gang, is, Pookie's spies is going to retaliate, you know? So you keep yeah. the thing going because of retaliation. It's not the it's not the black man coming home with a construction hat on, putting a construction hat down, saying, wow, I had a hard day at work. I guess I go out here and murder somebody. That's not happening, man. But we keep convincing well, we ourselves it is. Though, man. We gotta start analyzing what's going on. We keep convincing ourselves that that's what's going on. It's not. It is not. Everybody, every black man is not a murderer, man. And every right. black man doesn't even carry a gun for one. For one thing, you I know. don't even carry one. <laughs> uh, that's what I'm saying. So I, I don't think you out here killing people. I'm not no. killing people. All right. But so you let's know stop. the way it's starting to get. Huh? The way it's starting to get. The way it's starting to get is starting to make you want to go and kill people. I don't want to kill nobody, rough. brother. I don't even. I'm not even putting that out there. Do it. Okay. Well. Okay. Uh, have a good day, sir. Have a good All day. Right. I can't agree with that narrative. All right. Um, uh, let's go to, first of all, before we go to, uh, Di- I see you up there, Diane. But before we go to Diane, um, what I would like to talk about is uh, reverse reparations. Let's talk about reverse reparations and how what happened to us during the housing crisis was actually a form of reverse reparations. And the cities are divided up even today yes. along lines that are very recognizable from the, the maps of literally 70 years ago. Uh, and this is, I mean, this is, and we're talking about this now in the midst of these reparations discussions going on in Washington, D.C., um, that, that Real News is also covering. But, I mean, that to me is I've, what we haven't seen before is a report that actually details what that cost has been to the black world. Right, and it wasn't lost, of course. It was taken. Taken, exactly. Stolen, exactly. <laughs> it right, right, right. It was right. taken by white people. Right. It was reverse right. reparations. <laughs> right, exactly. Exactly. So, yes. Yeah, so, again, there are two big things happening. 
Uh, one is that they are selling the homes to blacks at inflated prices. And two, they're selling the homes in a manner where you often didn't actually end up with a home and often paid what should have been huge amounts of equity into the home and lost all of it. You combine those two flows. And remember, we're just talking about one city, uh, albeit a large city with a large back population, but also only a portion where we actually knew the names to be able to study them because of this lawsuit. So the actual losses, even in Chicago, are dramatically uh, larger than the $4 billion. And the lo- losses nationwide to the black community, again, it's not like you just lose the money in a rat hole going to rats uh, who happen to be white, is going to be vastly larger than that uh, sum, partial sum for Chicago. Okay, so like I said, some of these things I don't want to say out of my mouth. I'll let white folks say it, okay, because... It carries greater weight when they admit to some of the things when the good white people. Now, all white people aren't bad, by the way. The lady who introduced our bill or our proposal to City Hall, which was voted on unanimously by the city council, even though we haven't got any money for it yet, was a white lady named uh, Mary Pat Clark. Very, very good lady. You know, she's done a lot of good in the community. And um, she had the courage to bring this thing forth. And she knows the business community is against it, you know, but she still and we, we, we didn't even back her, you know. And we have these other policies. Just because you're black, if you're not doing anything for the black community, you're useless. You're totally useless. Okay, let's go to Diane. Hey, Tyrone. Good morning. How you doing? Hey, Diane. How's it going? Good morning to your audience. Oh, Tyrone, when you just played the part, the when your beginning part, I was down there and I know you were. I saw you. Yeah, yeah. I was supporting. I appreciate it. Thank you. When you're, um, you know, and like you said about Mary Pat Clark, she's still behind that, you know. And you, and people just don't know what you go through just just to get it on, you know, hear a hearing on it. You know, they don't understand. Oh, and, we worked um, very hard I, to get that. I, oh I, my God! I went back and read, um, rereading uh, Dr. King while we can't wait, and he said something very profound. And Tyrone, I don't know if you mentioned it. He said, "When we were slaves, we couldn't even communicate." So can you imagine, bring it up to 21st century, we're still in that same mindset, that psychological mindset, where we, we don't, we're, we're not able to communicate because we're hanging out with certain, these white people and they say, well, all black people are bad, so we want to stay in that They're good graces, right. Jobs that we won't be on the team, so we want to say all black, all black people are bad, too. Right. So right. yeah, and you I'm not one of the them. I'm the one of the good ones. Right. You you hear it all the time on yeah. the radio, Tyrone. Every station you hear it because they say, "Oh, our children are so bad." If our children were can so I say bad. something about that? Huh? Can oh. I say something about what you just said? That yeah. the children, our, our children are bad. Okay. That's what they. Say. When they let me fin- let me finish. Oh, yeah. Okay. Now mm-hmm. they had a disturbance down the harbor. Okay, and somebody right. beat up some some folks on a bike and all that. Those right. people should be arrested and charged mm-hmm. to the full extent of the law. Right. Now I pulled this thing up because I heard the, the black people. The black children were acting a fool down the harbor. Mm-hmm. I pulled it up on the on the internet, and I've been down the harbor. I seen right. black children down there, and they ain't bombing nobody. They're doing the same thing white children are doing. You right. know, they're, they're enjoying the dates or whatever. Mm-hmm. So when I pulled up on the internet, I saw a bunch of <laughs> black kids running. Right. Now, okay, okay, they're running. But if you were white from the suburbs, you would think they were running because they did something. Right. Now, in the hood, there's an unspoken rule that when the police chase you, everybody runs. Yeah. Okay, because the person that get caught right. is going to be the person to take that charge like a man. 
Right. The person that gets char- caught is the person going to take that charge. Mm-hmm. A white person wouldn't know that because the police is, is done differently right. in, in uh, Sandown Winchester than what is done in Roland Park. Park. You're not going to do that to the judge's son. Right. Okay? That's true. So you, <laughs> my, my nephew, who's an engineer, by the way, mm-hmm. young man, and when he was a kid growing up in Sandown Winchester, mm-hmm. when his friends would run, he wasn't knowing nothing, but when his friends would run, right. he would run right with him because he wasn't stupid enough to stand there and take a charge and ruin his entire life. That's true. You and, know, for, you for know taking a charge of something he didn't do. That is so true, Tyrone. That yeah. is so true. So and that's what you were looking at. If you saw that video that right. I saw and you saw those kids running, mm-hmm. that does not mean they were doing something necessary. Right. What it means is they know that you can't stay there because mm-hmm. all police aren't honest to yeah. them. Okay, and that's why the same reason, the same logic goes into why the algebra project mm-hmm. didn't want police to have guns in their schools. Right. Okay, because they rather take their chance with the thug <laughs> mm-hmm. because of the treatment they received from the police. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, people don't want to believe it. Okay, I can go on. I take you online. We look at police brutality videos all day, till you fall asleep. Yeah. So don't think police aren't capable of illegal arrests and illegal uh, beatings and 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 the like, mm-hmm. um, because. Um, if you haven't learned anything, pay attention to what happened to the Drug Trace uh, Task Force. And that in itself That's will tell you that all police aren't honest. I'm not saying all of them are crooks, right. but all of them are honest. And usually when somebody's getting beat down, if you look at the video, there's other police standing around. Yeah. And, and they're not doing anything. They're not even stopping it. And, and you know what, Kevron, when you said that, when they talk about stop snitching on the street and people not uh, snitching, they not snitching either, because you, like you just said, they standing around, but you're not going back and telling your major or your captain that so and so did this. Right. So you tell the people not to snitch, but you not snitch. Right. Remember the white guy that they put the red on his car, and then they right. his family and so they know what time snitched. it is. Huh? The, the police is telling you to snitch, but they're not right. going to do it. Right. That, that, that's that's insane. Right, and okay. you know what, Tyrone, when you talk about people need to understand, a lot of these houses got better foundation than these new houses that they are Absolutely. Up. They built in the last and, and hundreds and, of years. And look the new houses built in the last 20. In the, in the white community, they never tear down. No, they, you better not. They you better not. Them. Like you said, what you're talking <laughs> about, people need to understand what you're talking about. Is restoration in a community, and white people do that. Right. That, that you better not go to Fells Point talking about tearing out a house. They will kick you at, your butt out of there so quick. Right. Your, your eyes will be rolling. And, and like you said, for two, <laughs> they have been vacant for two decades, but they come back in and, and remodel it. This is a wall up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, all right. Okay. We're going to have to go to the next call, Diane. Okay. Let's go to Keith. Hello, Keith. Yeah, that's my first time calling. Oh, congratulations. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I I just wanted to touch on, um, you know, I, I just caught the show in the middle, but I wanted to touch on something that you said about how, you know, we as as a race, man, we, we got to stop, like, especially openly just chastising one another, and, you know, saying things like, you know, um, y'all need to stop killing one another because I mean, like every black man is not out here killing people. Every black man ain't got a gun in his pocket to kill anybody. You know, you know white people have guns. We got exactly, <laughs> so, and they're not giving them up. Things that other races do, but I've never seen, you know, a white person, an Asian person, or anybody else when all of these massacres and stuff take place. I've never seen any other race. Y'all need to get yourself together. Y'all need to stop killing one another. I mean, it's always us, like, downing one another and making it seem like we are all, you know, that way. And that's not the case, man. And, you know, these kids that we're talking about, squeegee kids, the ones down the harbor, wild right. enough, 
and, know, and I met the gentleman that's trying to do something it. with him. He's uh he he was at a community meeting and uh, he's a he's a brilliant young man, and uh, yeah. he wants to challenge the business community to put these young people to work because they, what they're saying is we want a job. We are willing to work for this money. Yeah. We don't want to yeah, be out slinging know, drugs. And, 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 you know, like, I don't want them, you know, 40 running up to the car, you know, at a time. I don't either. Like that. So I let's find them a job. I my windows, man. I'll pay them. But let's you know, give them I'll some job. Them some you know, yeah, but help them out. You know, like, it's a need. It's a need there. And, and, and their reality is they can't wake up in the day. They may not have the type of lifestyle or the type of home to just wake up in the morning. And have a meal. And be able to, like, go <laughs> and out have a meal. and apply for jobs. They need money now. They need know? money now because money. their parents are strong out on drugs, and they're not around to feed them. Okay, let's. Uh, yeah. All right, Keith, let's go to um, let's let's go to uh, Charles. What? Hello, Mr. Tyrone. Hey, how you doing, Mr. Charles? All right. Now, I always want to ask. You know, when do we go to real solutions? Well, and by, by that I'm asking. You know, how does the voting matter if we never have an issue on the voting ballot? Well, the voting matters because if you don't vote, you think they ain't paying attention to you now? They're never going to pay attention to you. And, and like I said, if voting had no power, they wouldn't have been killing people to stop them from organizing people to vote. Now, what we need to do is leverage our vote. That's what we need to do. Leverage well, our well, vote well, and well, put people, well, let well, me finish, let me finish. We need to put up candidates that are going to work for our interests, not the interests of the business community. It's fine to work for the interests of the business community, but at the same time, you got to look out for the working class citizens and the middle class people as well. You can't just focus primarily. You, for instance, you can't just tear down a, a whole neighborhood, a historic neighborhood, just to give free land and taxpayer subsidies to somebody that already got money, and ignore the people that are starving in the community, which the, right. you know, which the the help was meant to help in the first place. So right. we got we we're we're big on um, uh, giving out corporate welfare, but we won't help somebody that might need a job or something to keep them you know moving along. Again, none of, that, none of that has anything to do with what I asked. What I asked is, why don't we have our issues on the ballot? If the voting matters, then we should be voting our issues. We should be voting for reform. We should be voting for um, police police brutality to be reformed. We should be voting for re-regulation so we can deal with this water and this gas and electric and all these other problems. I mean, how do we have a hand in what's going on if we don't have a say in what we're voting on? Okay, okay, Charles, and answer your question. Um, first of all, when we the measure that we're trying to produce where we want trying to restore these houses for working class people instead of just tearing them down and giving them land away for free to rich people and developers and giving away tax dollars to developers, we're saying take this money, that seven hundred million dollars and the six hundred million dollars, which is really ninety four million dollars to tear down houses and six hundred million dollars in giveaways for redevelopment. Why don't we just take that and give give it to the working class citizen in the form of loans? Don't let them have it. I mean, just lend it to them and let them restore the houses and use it as an economic engine to restore our communities, provide jobs, provide jobs training, etc. We had to put this before city hall because I believe, if I'm correct, only the mayor can um, take a house off a list once it's been slated for demo. Because I hear people saying, why don't we just go down and get all these houses and all that? If I had a billion dollars, I can't take a house off the demo list, you know, to restore it, unless the mayor, without the mayor's uh, uh, graces or, or... Okay. So, right, I got still got some more callers, and I thank everybody for calling in. 
And uh, tune in again next uh, week for the Call Tyrell Show. Okay, I got thirty. I got thirty seconds. I'm gonna try to grab Fred in here real quick, and hey, then we're gonna end the show. Tyrell, how you doing? All right, sir. How's it going, Uncle Fred? Tyrone, look, you got to think of pooling our resources and investing in this old, what do you call it, opportunity zone thing. You know, the black community has to own a lot of real estate in Baltimore City because 48% of all the houses in Baltimore City are owner-occupied. You know that, right? Right. So that means we must own a lot of real estate in this city. Right. But, so Fred, again, pool- again. Once a house has been slated for demolition, they have what's called demolition clusters now. I understand I, that. I believe that only the mayor can release that house for that list. But if you so have a you, no matter how much money you got, without the, the, the compliance of the electric, electrical people we elected to look out for us, you can't get them houses off that list. Well, okay. I mean, if you if you get your community, say for the association I come out of, uh, 900 people own their properties in our right. community. Okay, own my property. Okay, you, go ahead. You tie this community, tie these together as a as one piece of property. That's worth 40, average about 40, about 45 million dollars for real estate. Okay, then you go to the city and you say, "This is my community." We went to the city, Fred, and this we what, proposed this, pro- this program. Well, right, Fred, maybe we go. Call home. me back next week. We'll talk about it further. But call me next week, sir. Appreciate you calling in. We got to end the show, people. I mean, we have people online, but uh, and I appreciate all the callers, and I appreciate all the listeners. And uh, we feel free to come back next week and tune in for workable solutions to the predatory lending and the blight, the ensuing blight that affected the black community especially, and the demolition of the remaining affordable housing stock in Baltimore City. We have a solution. Let's do it as a people. Unity. Nothing bigger, more powerful than the power of unity. Thank you for your time. W-O-L-B Baltimore and W-E-R-Q-F-M HD3 Baltimore. Brought to you by Live Casino and Hotel.